Good morning. Welcome to church. I'm sorry, you guys. There's music playing in my ear. There we go. Thank you. You guys can stand. We're going to worship this morning. I'm just going to open us in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day. God, we're so blessed to be in your presence this morning. We're so thankful for the opportunity to gather together, to lift you up. It's a special moment, and we just want to take a pause to acknowledge that. We're here in your house with your people, and we've set aside this time to fix our eyes on you. And we just ask that you would meet us here in this place, as you've promised that you will. So we also are grateful. We ask, Lord, that you would touch our hearts as we worship, as we hear your word this morning, as we pray together, as we even just are hanging out, drinking coffee and talking, God, that your spirit would be with us, that you would be equipping us to encourage one another, to love one another as we're called to do, God in a special way. We need your help. We just take a moment to acknowledge, God, in all things we need you. Even to worship you, we need you. It's so funny and ironic, but we do. We need your help. We're imperfect. We're distracted. We're burdened, God, so we just ask that you would come, that you would help us, because you're faithful to do that to meet us wherever we are, to take away our burdens, to wrap your arms around us, to open our eyes to see you in new ways. So I ask God that you would just take this time and let it be a special time for every person in this room that you've ordained to be here now. God, let us experience you in a fresh and new and special way this morning. And I ask these things in faith and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I just want to take a moment. We're singing these songs that we sing all the time. And I want to just remind us that even though these songs are super familiar, I don't want us to become complacent as we sing them just out of memory, but to also be impacted, to be affected, to think about the words that we're saying, the words that we're hearing, I've, I always am very intentional in the songs that I choose, the, the biblical truths that we're declaring, the th- things that these anointed people have, through God's spirit, written down into song. So I just ask that we would take a moment as we're singing just to, just to consciously re- be aware of the truths that we're declaring and acknowledge maybe the things that are hard, the things that we're wrestling with that don't feel true, Acknowledge the things that really resonate and feel super true. And just be present as we sing, as we worship. Amen? Let's do it this morning. In my wrestling, in my doubts, in my failures, you won't watch out your great love.
worship to you a very familiar passage from psalm chapter 23 old but good and again just a reminder to just hear these words like you've never heard them before just think about them in a fresh way it says the lord is my shepherd i lack nothing he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. I've just been doing for school a passage that's familiar with all of us that I just was thinking of as I was reading this. When Mary comes and pours oil on Jesus' feet, and it's this whole thing because she pours this expensive oil, and Judas is like, what a waste. But it's so beautiful that through the Holy Spirit, the inspired word that David wrote this psalm and said that he anoints our head with oil, that's a huge honor. It's a blessing. It's that God showing a spirit of hospitality and honor to us. It's a beautiful story when Mary anoints Jesus because of what an honor it is and because of this act of love. 
And how beautiful it is to think about that. We don't anoint people with oil in our culture, so maybe that just goes right over your head. But that's a huge honor. It's, it's, it's the spirit of hospitality, and it is so backwards for the God of the universe to be anointing our head with oil when we should be anointing him. So I just wanted to draw that out this morning that we can acknowledge God's love and his grace, his hospitality towards us, that he loves us and he blesses us and he takes care of us. And even when it doesn't feel like it, he's here right now to meet with each of us, to give us his love, his encouragement, and that he's just pouring it out. He's pouring it out on us and we don't deserve it. And it so just blows my mind that God does that, but he does. And as we acknowledge and we worship him, there's also a place for us to acknowledge how much he loves us and how much he honors us, even when we don't deserve it, and how much more that should make us want to worship him. Amen? Amen. Amen.
All right, you got one more in there? Got one more to go.
Amen. You may be seated this morning. I'd like to encourage us to remain in a posture of prayer and of worship this morning. And um, let's just be mindful of what the Lord is is saying to us and how he wants to meet us here. And um, let's not rush past that. Um, Let's just continue to lift one another up in prayer Uh, We still have several who are dealing with sickness, and there's still a lot of that going around, and uh, COVID is just making sure that we all know that it's still here, (laughs) wanting to make sure we don't forget about it, and um, so let's just be mindful that there are still people who are dealing with sickness and and other things, Um, and so I just want to be mindful of, of the fact that we, a lot of us, are carrying burdens whether it's our own or for someone else that we love. And so this is a time and a space where we can come before the Lord, be honest and vulnerable, lay it all before him, and then pause and wait for him to speak to us. Right? We don't lay it all there and then run, but we wait before the Lord. and We wait for his promises that are true, And we wait for him to give us strength to keep going. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning. We are humbled before you. God, as we have been reminded so beautifully this morning of your goodness, and I loved that reminder of your hospitality, Lord. That is what has stood out to me this morning, is that you have invited us into this space where you already were, where you've always been. And you invite us into that space, and as Nikki reminded us, you anoint us, even though it should be the other way around. That is humbling. God, that is humbling, and it's such a good reminder, such a needed reminder of how seen and loved we are and that the God of all creation would see us and love us and then be willing to serve us and would be willing to 
offer us your hospitality. God, I just pray this morning that you would be so present in this place. God, I pray that you would make your presence known. And I pray, God, that we would see you move in our hearts, in this place, in this congregation. God, I pray that you would continue to move us. God, would you continue to move us today? God, would you help us as it's so tempting to remain in a comfortable place where we just remain stagnant and we're not moving and we're not seeking and we're not searching and and serving and going and doing. It's really easy to just sit and receive feeling like we have nothing left to give. And God, for some, that might be true. And and for those, we recognize just how much we need you, that we can't do this on our own, that we aren't capable of, of continuing on doing everything you've called us to do without your sustaining power. So God, remind us that you are, are helping us to do all that you've called us to do. But God, also, my prayer today is that you would continue to move us. Help us to see the opportunities that are all around for us to respond, to go and do and be who you've called us to be. God, that's going to require us stepping out of our comfort zones. It's going to require us to be willing to do some work. It means the hard work of just showing up day after day after day, even though we don't see fruit, maybe at first. But God, would you give us just a glimpse? Would you give us just a glimpse this morning of all that you are doing and all that you are up to Because we know, God, that you are always moving and working. You are always doing a new thing. God, help us to see that this morning. Give us the imagination to see the new thing which you are doing. God, would you just reignite our hearts? Would you fill us with a new and fresh passion to be a people who exist for the lost and broken around us. God, we recognize that we miss that so often, all too often. We're focused on us. We're focused on me and my own. And we're missing the beautiful things that you're doing all around. God, help us to see, help us not miss what you're doing. God, we pray this morning, especially for those who maybe are at home, who are sick, 
who are dealing with sickness of a loved one this morning. God, maybe they're able to be watching this morning, or maybe they're not, but I pray that you would be with them. I pray, God, that you would be present and that you would help them to know that you are meeting them right where they are. Help them to see you this morning. And God, we just pray that you would, God, would you just give them a healing touch? God, would you help them to receive rest and comfort and wellness? God, we thank you that you are there with those this morning. God, as we turn now to your word, I pray that you would open up our hearts, open up our eyes. God, would you just prepare us now for the word you have for us? Help us to receive Help us to be willing to respond honestly and accordingly. God, we know that your word is useful for teaching and guiding and instructing, sometimes rebuking, sometimes correcting. God, would you just help us to see what it is that you have for us today. Help us to respond and to be obedient this morning. God, we love you and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. And we thank you for your sustaining power that is always at work within us. And we love you, Lord. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's so good to see you all. Um, Thank you for bearing with us. I'm, I'm sure you noticed that um, our praise team is kind of going through a new shift. Um, just in case some of you don't know or, or are unaware of, of maybe why we're still trying to get used to a new thing, is that we, uh, our praise team has been working with some new tracks and some click tracks that they hear in their ear that that we've heard good things about, that a lot of praise bands use these and they're, they sing their praises, they're, they're really great. Um, I'm speaking totally from, you know, just hearing what they have said. And so we're working on implementing that, but we've also heard, I have heard that it takes time to really get used to that and that you kind of have to push through like this really hard uh, space of like, oh, it's going to feel like you just can't do it and like it's not worth it. But if you really want to stick it out, you got to push through that hard Phase. And so that's what our praise team is relentlessly doing week after week after week. Um, but I also find that it's a good reminder that our worship is not dependent upon people, right? Like, yes, they do a wonderful, beautiful job of leading us to the throne, to God in worship, but may we not depend on that so much that if it's like a little bit, you know, just rough uh, at a, a rough go, that we're not like, oh, oh, my worship, I can't, I got to put it on, push pause on the worship until I can get back in my groove. Like, that's, that's hard for us because we're so dependent, I think. But I just think it's a good reminder that God is here and God is present and God is moving. And by the way, he's worthy of our worship 
whether or not things are going perfectly smooth, right? So just wanted to acknowledge that this morning and just uh, let you know, and I appreciate, we appreciate just your support uh, for our amazing worship team. Well, this morning we are going to continue on in our series through the Gospel of Luke. We've been in this series for nine weeks now, and um, we're probably going to end up going into the fall. This is going to last throughout the fall uh, because there's just so much good stuff here that, that we're just going to pause and, and soak it all up and not rush through it, uh, even though it can feel a little bit like, well, all right, I'm ready for something new, but um, I think we're still receiving something new pretty often uh, throughout the gospel. Today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, but as I've done pretty regularly throughout this series, I just want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, feel free to open up because we're going to be referencing um, some different things that are going on around today's passage. And so it might be helpful for you to just be able to quickly reference or note some of the other things that are going on kind of in the chapter or chapter before or after, okay? Uh, last week, we were also in Luke chapter 12, and um, whew, we got through it. We were talking about money uh, and just how God expects us to, to look at our stuff and our finances, and it isn't what you think if you weren't here. It, it wasn't maybe what you think it might have been, uh, but it's still challenging and a good reminder that we are not dependent upon ourselves, right? And that if we think that our success and our uh, stability is dependent on ourselves, then God is probably going to say, well, let me just help you remember that all that you have is a gift from me and that actually I sustain you and I provide for you. But it's cute that you think you provide for yourself, right? Um, and so we just find that healthy balance in between uh, feeling like we are working hard and are good stewards of what God has given us, but also recognizing that he is faithful, He's faithful to his people, and we can rest in that. So that's kind of where we were last week, a little bit of a feel-good passage in some way. Like, at first it's hard, but then it's like this beautiful reminder that look at the flowers and how I clothe them, and look at the sparrows and how I care for them, and you are so much more important than flowers and sparrows, and so how much more does your heavenly Father love you and provide for you? And it's like you're on this cloud of like, yes, that's such a good reminder, and then you move on throughout Luke chapter 12, and the language changes pretty significantly. And we go from like these sweet and cozy reminders to some pretty harsh language of it's time to wake up, right? And Jesus is really working to get some attention here. And so that's where we're going to be today in Luke chapter 12. And really this, this harsh language that Jesus has, these harsh words... For the Pharisees, surprise, surprise, this harsh language is for the Pharisees and actually began back in Luke chapter 11. It actually starts back in Luke chapter 11 where there's like this palpable tension and Jesus is, is speaking to the disciples knowing that the Pharisees are around and Luke, uh, Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, listen, be on your guard and beware of the Pharisees. Beware of their hypocrisy. Beware of, of what they are missing and how they are not living as God has called them to live. In a nutshell, I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. But, but Jesus is helping the disciples to be aware of what's happening here. And Luke, this goes on into Luke chapter 12. Jesus again warning them, saying, be on your guard. Don't fall into the same kind of hypocrisy. I'm begging you. 
And so we go from last week where Jesus speaks this hopeful word about God's provision and caring for our needs and how we don't need to worry. And then there's this slight shift or rather major shift in tone uh, after Jesus goes on, you know, be faithful. Don't be bogged down by your stuff and competing priorities. And then it's like, bam. And by the way, you better be careful and you better watch out. Um, I was reading from N.T. Wright as I have done throughout this series, I've leaned heavily on his commentary, and he made this really great comparison how this section in the, in the Gospel of Luke is similar to something that um, the composer Beethoven used to do. So I, I guess, and this is again all coming from N.T. Wright, he talks about how when Beethoven was performing, um, and he was looking at the audience as he's performing, and if he ever noticed that they were like not really paying attention or they were kind of drifting and they weren't really in it, he would continue playing as if everything's normal. And then just when, you know, he's lulling them and they're just so comfortable, maybe drifting a little bit because of how cozy and comfy they are. And then just before he hits the final note, it said that he would bring down his forearm on the, the piano, on the keys, and like make this terrible sound. Kevin, you want to come try that out for us to show us what that would sound like? I'm just kidding. But it was like this sudden, uh, loud, you can imagine, right? And it would just wake them up and probably disturb them. And N.T. Wright talks about how then he would chuckle as he watched them all like figure out what just happened. And so I liked how N.T. Wright was like, eh, it might be a little bit like what Jesus is doing, right? He is, he is continuing to bring words of, of comfort and hope, but then there's like this shift where he's like coming down hard on the keys and like, but wait, (laughs) but watch out, but listen, because this is important. And I've got to use, I think Jesus is using such strong language because he is dying to get their attention, right? And so we see lots of harsh, strong language. Some of these things sound disturbing. If you read through 11 and 12 all the way through, you'll know what I'm talking about. We're not going to touch on all of it today, but you'll see what I'm talking about. It's harsh and it's really hard to understand like, whoa, Why is Jesus saying these things? This sounds horrible. This does not sound like Jesus. But again, he's using that hyperbolic language like he does to make a very important point because that's how committed he is to helping those who are are learning from him to know how serious it is for, for them to be watching him and following him. Okay, so he knows the Pharisees are listening. We're going to read our text in just a moment, but just have all this in mind. The Pharisees are nearby. They are listening. They're waiting. They are trying to trap Jesus. They're waiting for him to say the right, wrong thing, if you know what I'm saying, like just that right thing that they can trap him in. And so he knows they're listening. He he knows that these are the experts, right? Like these are the chosen ones. These are the leaders, And yet they have completely missed it. They have been irresponsible with their authority and with their influence. And they are leading others not to the Messiah, but away from him because they're completely missing it. And so Jesus gets their attention. And so with this in mind, I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able as we read just a snippet of the heavy things Jesus has to say in Luke 12, beginning with verse 49. He's really kind of in the middle of it right now, and he says, 
I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord this morning, friends, and it's good. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It's hard, but it's good. I promise. So Jesus is in the middle of this really important talk where he's saying some pretty heavy, he's got some strong warnings, he's using some strong language, and then he goes right into it and he starts out in this section saying, I've come to bring fire on earth and how I wish it were already kindled. And man, if you just even know how much I wrestled, starting with like that single verse, right? Because I'm trying to figure out like, what kind of fire are we talking about here? Is this like a fire that's connected to judgment, right? Like a lot of times we read about fire and it's connected to some kind of judgment. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Is that what he's longing to bring? Or, which is kind of what I tend to believe, is this a refining, purifying fire. And, and I turn to, to many commentaries, and it sounds like they're all pretty divided on what they think it means. There are those who think, yeah, this is probably connected to judgment of some kind, and there are those who say, well, this is probably a refining, purifying kind of fire. So that didn't really help me out too much. And I think it could go either way. Like, Jesus definitely isn't shying away from talks of judgment and how serious God is about the Pharisees and how they are are not listening and looking and obeying. They're not paying attention. And I think because they are in these positions of influential leadership, that God is serious about saying, like, this is not okay and I'm going to make this right. But also, I think knowing Jesus, it makes sense to me that, that he longs for those who are misguided, those who are are being led astray or who have gone astray, he longs for them to be open to the spirit of God that wants to purify and to cleanse and to steer in the right direction, to be refined. I think that's what Jesus longs for, right? That's pretty true to the Jesus I see in the gospels. He laments And he longs for this change. He weeps over Jerusalem, right? I don't think he's he's like just waiting for the fire to be rained down. When the disciples wanted that, Jesus says, no, that belongs to God. Like you chill, right? And so I think Jesus is lamenting and longing like, oh, how I wish, how I wish this fire could be kindled. He laments and longs for change. And I would say that he's anticipating the fire and the work of the Holy Spirit that will continue to purify, refine, make new, cleanse, right? Jesus is that, but he's also anticipating the fullness of that. That's where there's a tension that we kind of recognize. 
So he's longing for that. That's, that's kind of my take on it anyways, for whatever that's worth. But that's kind of what I see. He's longing for this refining, purifying fire, and, but he's also not shying away from. But if you don't, here's what's going to happen, right? But he goes on to say, but I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. In other words, he's, he's acknowledging this in-between, right? He's thinking about the cross. He's probably anticipating what's going to come after the resurrection. That's his baptism, right? We know what baptism is, dying to self, being raised to new life in Christ. And so Jesus will actually physically die and be raised to new life. He'll be resurrected in the flesh. And so he's anticipating that. And he's like in this in-between, like, I know that's coming and I'm anticipating that. And I think I love, once again, we just get a glimpse into the humanity of Jesus, that, that he says that, that he's under constraint there's some stress and some tension, like Jesus was fully human. He, he knew that he was in this in-between, and he was anticipating the cross, and that was not easy, to say the least. And so he calls that out. He says, this is how it is. But then he says this really problematic line, this verse that, that I, you know, of course, at first glance, you're like, whoa, 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 what does this mean? Then he says, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Anyone else a little confused here? Because in a few short months, few short months, literally, we're going to be singing songs that say things like peace on earth, right? We're, we're anticipating, celebrating the birth of Christ, and with his birth comes peace on earth, goodwill to me, right? This is, and that comes from Luke chapter 2, so what are you saying, Luke? What, what is happening here? Jesus is saying, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. Well, I'm confused because I thought that's what was happening there. And then you're, he says, no, but I, I came to bring division. And then we wrestle with that. Like, does he want us to be divided? Does he want there to be this div- divisiveness that exists among us? Well, your Bibles may or may not note this, and I think because it's not an exact quote, it's a little bit different from the original, your Bibles may or may not lead you to Micah chapter 7, which is what Jesus seems to be quoting in a way here. Because in Micah chapter 7, we read this exact same verse, but we have to put it into context, right? Micah is a prophet. He's a prophet who is speaking to a divided nation, a divided people, a people who are no longer living as God has called them to live. And Micah, along with many other prophets, he has plenty of warnings and woes for Israel. He is reminding them, your leaders are corrupt. There's a great injustice that you are ignoring. And those who are poor and vulnerable are the victims of your injustice. And God is not having it right? Like God is faithful to his people. And so he's going to show up for them. And he's going to remind you of who you've, who you were called to be. In other words, Micah, along with all the other prophets that, that came in the, in the name of the Lord, I just picture them all pleading, this is not what God planned for you. This is not who God has called you to be. Remember, Remember who God has called you.
you to be. And there's that well-known verse in Micah 6, 8, when he says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Micah says to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Even though there are plenty of woes and warnings in the prophet, in the book of the prophets, such as Micah, there are also words of hope. There's words of hope, and Micah brings those words of hope as he he highlights it and, and he points to the promised one through whom all will be made right and the world will be reconciled. And Micah even says, he will bring peace. Wait, Jesus just said he didn't come to bring peace. What? What's happening? Right? Micah even says, he will bring peace. And hang with me. We're going to make all this make sense at the, as much as we can, she said humbly, <laughs> At the end of chapter 7 in Micah, we have to know what we're dealing with here, so we gotta, we got to cover all this. At the end of chapter 7 in Micah, there's this imagery, it seems, of a person who recognizes how undeserving they are of, wor- of, of mercy and forgiveness, right? They are very well aware that they don't deserve mercy and forgiveness. They are aware of their sin. They are aware of how they have grieved God, how they have not lived as God has called them to live, and yet it seems as if this person, who is supposed to be symbolic of Israel, I believe, this person is reminded that God is that good. That regardless of them wandering and coming back, and wandering and coming back, and wandering and coming back, and wandering and coming back, that God will continue to make a way for peace and forgiveness and mercy and restoration and reconciliation. God continues to make a way time and time again because he is faithful. He is faithful to his people even when they are continuously unfaithful to God. And it would seem as if Micah points to Jesus being the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. And so it's in the midst of all of this in Micah chapter 7, verse 6, when he says, and notice it's a little different. For a son dishonors his father. A daughter rises up against her mother. Unfortunately, I can't relate to that at all. (laughs) My daughter's completely compliant with her mother, and I just can't relate to this at all. It's totally unrelatable for me. I'll tell her I said that later. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He says, a man's enemies are the members of his own household. It would seem that this is some more, this is more imagery of a group of people who have turned on one another, who, who have become one another's enemies. And it would seem as though, even though we all fear the outsider, and Israel is this small, weak nation, right? And they were always worried about the other nations. It would seem as though this is some, some serious imagery, some deep imagery for they aren't who you need to be concerned about. You need to be concerned about those who are in your own house because those are the ones who are turning away and causing problems, causing division. 
I, I arrived here because I don't know. I arrived here after lots of conversation and reading and studying and, and, and listening, but also it clicked for me because why else would Jesus quote this random verse from Micah? I mean, it's seemingly random. It's like he just picked one. Why else would he quote that? Because knowing the setting that he's in, he's trying to communicate a very important message. Listen, don't lose, don't, don't miss this. Because Jesus is speaking to a, a group of, of men and women, but, but people who knew the Jewish scripture. Young men made it their mission to study the Jewish scripture as much as they could. They were very familiar with the law and the prophets. And so even though we hear those words Jesus says, and maybe though most of us can confess, myself included, oh yeah, Micah says that in Micah chapter seven, right? Most of us probably didn't think that. Even though we didn't necessarily think that, the disciples and those who are listening would have recognized what Jesus just said. And it would, you know, a little light bulb will go off in their head and they're, oh, he's quoting Micah. He's quoting the prophet Micah. And their mind would, I imagine, would immediately go to that setting and that context. And I think it would start to make sense for them what Jesus is saying. See, Jesus is highlighting, it seems. <laughs> he seems like he's highlighting this idea, this same idea, that the problem won't necessarily always be the outsiders, right? Like you're always worried about the, the Pharisees were always worried about the outsiders and how much how much trouble it would cause to let them in and how we need to keep our, right? We've spent a significant amount of time highlighting that in the gospel of Luke. But it seems like Jesus is reminding the disciples and those listening and then us by default that it's not always the outsiders we need to be concerned about, but there's division in our own household. Are you with me? There's division among us. The people of God is, seems to be what Jesus is saying. And this, to me, this tracks. This tracks with the message that Luke has been committed to communicating all throughout his gospel. What I want you to hear this morning, I don't think Jesus is saying that he longs for division and divisiveness. Right? I don't think Jesus is just dying to see that. His purpose was not necessarily to cause division and divisiveness. However, he is very well aware that it will come as a result of the revelation of his Messiahship. He is well aware and welcomes it because it's necessary. You see what I'm saying? He's aware of those who are listening. He is so aware. And he knows that essentially what he's doing here is stirring the pot. And there, I just imagine the Pharisees like, oh, no, he didn't just quote from the prophet Micah. Really, Jesus, Micah, you're going to go there? Like they are listening. They are very well aware of what Jesus is saying. And he is stirring the pot right now. But this division that is happening and that will continue to unfold is necessary as Jesus pursues complete shalom. As Jesus continues to pursue shalom, the peace of God, which is wholeness and restoration, a peace that lacks nothing. 
to the complete wholeness, how it always, how it was always meant to be. And Jesus is not interested in ignoring the problems that are in-house, so to speak, among the leaders of Israel. He's not interested. He's not sparing their feelings here. He's committed to addressing the root of the problem. He's not interested in avoiding conflict to avoid offending or stirring up trouble among the Pharisees. He's committed to calling it out. He's committed to addressing the root of the problem, and he knows it's going to cause division and divisiveness, and really he knows it's ultimately going to cause his death. He's going to lay down his life for this. Church, yes, Jesus does long for unity. He longs for wholeness. He longs for reconciliation and peace, the shalom of God, but he's not interested in the mere illusion of these things. He is pursuing the real thing, the real, whole, complete shalom and peace of God. And to do that, it's necessary to call those, call out those who are standing in the way, and even worse, standing in the way in the name of the Lord. Talk about blasphemy. That's blasphemy. Speaking in the name of God, something that God does not stand behind. You're leading others. Oh, that's another sermon for another time. We won't. We'll just pass by that for now. See, once we understand what Jesus is addressing and calling out, and once we've taken just a few moments, that didn't take very long, to understand more of the context and, and really what Jesus is saying, I think you can hopefully see what the message is for us, right? The people of God here today. And I think that message is somewhere along the lines of sometimes following the way of Jesus. And when I say Jesus, I mean the Jesus we see in the Gospels. Not the Jesus that others have created in their own minds, right? Not a false depiction of Jesus. I'm talking about the Jesus you read and know about in the Gospels because you are reading, right? You are making him, you are making it your mission to know this Jesus and you know him here, right? And so that's the Jesus. Following this way of Jesus is going to be controversial and it may even cause some division, and there are going to be times where the people of God, the people in the church, they're going to have to call out those who are leading others astray. Those who have this image of Christ that is false and, and contrary to the one we see in the Gospels. And if we're really honest, maybe, I don't know, maybe we might be split. Maybe some of you, and I've talked to some of you who I know feel this way. I know you do because I've talked to you. Maybe there are some, but not many here today, who are aware of some division within the church. And I mean the big C church, not just BFCN. There are, are Christians who have named this, and they, they don't really know how to say it. They don't even necessarily have the right words. They just say, something is not right. We are so divided and there's this 
image of Jesus, and then there's this one, and I can't make it make sense. And whether you're aware or not, that is, people are, are calling this out. There are people within the church who are saying, there's some division happening. And I think if you pay attention to the history of the church, starting from Acts, and if you work your way up to modern day, you're going to see a pattern. You're going to see a pattern that every 500 years or so, there's a major shift that takes place in the church where there are those who say, hey, this isn't right. This is not Jesus. This is not how we've been called to live, and it's time to say something about it rather than just remaining quiet because we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And just in case you're curious, yes, the Reformation led by Martin Luther was in 1517. So either get your calculator out or do some quick math and you'll realize like, oh, little over 500 years, right? And so there's this shift that happens, and maybe that's happening, maybe it's not. I'm not trying to act like a prophet. I'm not claiming one way or the other. I'm just saying I notice that there are a lot of people who are leaving the church, not just, again, big C church. They're leaving. And yes, a lot of them are millennials. A lot of them are, are, are Gen Zers. But that's not all. Like, There's a lot of people leaving the church. And here's the thing. They may not be abandoning God. They may not be leaving their relationship with Jesus. They may not be abandoning scripture. They may not even necessarily be abandoning Christian community. But they are leaving the institution that teaches theologies and teaches a Jesus that doesn't line up with the one they see in the Gospels. They are leaving the abusive theologies. They're moving away from the harmful, abusive theologies and the Jesus that Christians portray that is, again, counter to the one we see if we're really paying attention. Maybe you sense it, maybe you don't. If you do, if you're like me, you sense it. And again, you're not like panicking or freaking out and you're not like trying to be a prophet saying, oh, it's happening. There's going to be a major reformation, but maybe you're like, oh, it's a little unnerving. It's a little scary at times, right? Not knowing what's, what's going to happen. But also, maybe it's necessary. We might feel divided right now, but maybe it's moving us closer to reconciliation, to wholeness, to a peace and a shalom that looks more like what God intended not a false sense of unity, not an absence of conflict, but true reconciliation and wholeness. And by the way, these things will always confront and offend power and comfort, both of which are embedded in the church. See, Jesus was fully aware of what was coming. He was fully aware of what was ahead He was fully aware that conflict would continue to build in response to his messianic revelation. But he moves forward anyways. He doesn't abandon. He doesn't turn back. He moves forward and continues to pave the way for wholeness, reconciliation, restoration, 
and ultimately shalom, the peace of God. He says the harsh things the Pharisees need to hear. He's does, he doesn't stop. He just, he's just going to continue to say what they need to hear. Meanwhile, urging all of those who are listening to repent. Luke has this theme of repentance throughout. We won't ignore it. We won't shy away from it. But it's repenting of this wrong way of, of living and following God. It's, it's not the way you've been called to live. You think you're doing right, but you're not. Right? And he's urging those to repent and to walk in the way of God because the kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming. It's being made known. So as we close this morning, I'm going to invite the praise team to come back and join up here. And I just want to remind us this morning, you know that we, the church, we aren't just marking time. You know that, right? Like, we're not just passively waiting for Jesus to come and rescue us from this evil, awful world. Like, maybe deep down you're like, well, there is sort of that sense. That's fine. But, but you understand that that's not all this is, right? Like, we don't gather in our holy huddles just to kind of like, oh, have a reprieve from the evil, awful world and right? Like, even though we do have that by default, by gathering together, that's not what we're doing. We're not wandering around aimlessly just waiting. Like, you know that God is still actively at work in the world around us, right? You know that God has not, like, removed himself, right? You know that God is still doing a new thing, right? He's always at work. We are Nazarenes. We are Wesleyans. And that means that we believe in the prevenient grace of God, the grace that goes before, before you even know what he's doing. He's doing something. And if we believe that, if we believe that God is still ushering in his kingdom, he's continuing to work, he's not slacking up. If we believe that we are filled with the power of his Holy Spirit, then we believe that there is so much work left to do. And we believe that we have an active role to play. And so I think that Jesus would, would urge us to wake up, pay attention. Don't just sit under, under teachers who are leading you astray. Don't just listen to the, the Christian voice that is popular in culture right now. Really test what they say and understand whether or not they are actually following in the way of this Jesus. And if not, remove yourself. I think he's reminding us of that this morning. And so as we prepare to respond, I just want to close with a few questions this morning. Maybe if it's appropriate, you can close your eyes just to really focus on these questions. I want to ask you this morning, do you see what God is doing all around you? Do you see? And I guess before we ask that question, maybe we need to ask, like, are we looking? Are we looking to see what God is doing all around you? Do you see or do you take the time to notice how God is continuing to do a new thing 
both in you and around you. I think, again, this message for us today might be a warning of sorts, a warning to pay attention, a warning to not miss the kingdom of God that is at hand. It's both now and it's not yet. It is here and it's continuing to come. And I think it's a reminder, a timely reminder for the church who may or may not sense something happening, a division, a divisiveness. It's a reminder to watch out for those who say they are about this kingdom work, and yet this doesn't look anything like the kingdom that Jesus described. Friends, may we continue to follow the path and the ways of Jesus, knowing that, yes, it might cause division, but may we resolve to walk in his footsteps anyway. God, we just ask you to continue to work this out within us. This is a lot. It's heavy and deep and felt like an impossible challenge to condense this down into a sermon that is an appropriate length that people will be happy with. And so God, I leave it in your hands now. I leave it to you to right all the wrongs that I interjected. I lead you, I leave it to you to continue to work this out in us and among us. I leave it to you, God, to speak what each person here needs to hear today. God, may you help us to have wisdom and discernment as we look to you and not to those around us. God, may we have the, the boldness given by, ignited by the, the fires of the Holy Spirit. May we have a holy boldness to turn and walk away from anything that disrupts the work that you are doing, that disrupts the ultimate, whole, complete shalom of God. And so, Lord, we ask, what is it that I need to turn away from today? What is it that we need to turn away from today? God, what is it that you might be just dividing us from so that we can continue to experience wholeness and restoration? Oh God, we are desperate for you to show us, reveal to us this morning. Give us a glimpse and help us to be faithful participants in the work that you continue to do. And I want to close with this reminder from Isaiah 43, 19. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. May it be so this morning. At first glance, I think the song we're about to sing might seem a little weird in context, but I want to take a moment just to acknowledge, I love how the Holy Spirit is always weaving things behind the scenes. And as Nicole was speaking, I was just thinking about this song, and I was thinking about how that I love, there's this beautiful tension in Scripture. Some I'll acknowledge sometimes it makes us uncomfortable, but it's 
the two sides of God, the, more than two, but specifically we see that God is a God of judgment. He's also a God of mercy, and it's hard to reconcile those two sometimes. But scripture is about, we say a lot, both and rather than either or, right? So we can acknowledge that in the context of harsh words of judgment and thinking about Jesus saying, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. And if we take that in context, like Nicole said, it, with earlier in the book of Luke when the angels come and they say, hey, peace on earth and goodwill to men, then really the only conclusion we can draw is that he came to, to both bring peace and a sword. And that sounds weird, and how can that be true? But this song is actually illustrating perfectly how that is true, that God is a God of righteousness and justice and truth, and there is no way that we can approach him in our brokenness and our sin. And Jesus is speaking as he's preparing to go to the cross, and he's saying to his people, the time is coming, your time is coming to a close and he, speak, he starts out speaking to the Pharisees because they don't believe in him. And a few verses later, it says that Jesus laments over Jerusalem. And he says before he leaves, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you like chicks under my wings, but you would not come. So Jesus acknowledges that the, the sword is coming. I wanted to shield you from this. You have a choice. And he's warning them, the time is coming to a close. You do not see that I am here. You don't acknowledge who I am. So the beauty of God is the cross. The beauty that God, he had to come in judgment. But what he did was, and this is also something that I read from N.T. Wright. I'm not going to quote it verbatim. But that the, the, the beauty of God is that he came and he took the punishment on the cross. We don't like the wrath of God. It's uncomfortable. We're about to sing a line in the song that says, you, the perfect holy one, crushed your son. And that sounds so horrible, especially for parents in the room. <laughs> what? But he did. He did that for you, that God made the choice that if he, he would sacrifice his own son to spare us his wrath, the wrath had to be poured out. And Jesus received it on our behalf. So we can worship him this morning as we sit in the tension of the judgment and the wrath of God and the mercy and the grace of God that today we are on the side of grace. Praise God that we have received the gift, hopefully, us in this room. And if you haven't, come forward. Come to these altars and pray. People can come and pray with you that you have the gift. You have a choice. You can receive because of the cross, we're not stuck in judgment, but we've been given the mercy of God through his own sacrifice. And we can acknowledge that, yes, God, he, he has justice, but he came in the most sort of unjust way and received the punishment for us. Isn't that beautiful? That's so beautiful. I love it. Okay. We're going to sing about that this morning, and I just want you to stand with us. We're going to sing these words, and we're going to just reflect on the cross and, and the beauty of God and how that, that, that when he came to bring those warnings, he was warning them because he loved them. 
And when he laments over Jerusalem, I promise you, he was also lamenting over those Pharisees. It seems like he really didn't like them very much, but actually he loved them and he wanted them to repent. So he did everything in his power to draw them to himself. And when it came down to it, sometimes that included some really harsh words. But we're going to take a moment, bring some balance here, and just acknowledge the gift of God. And we're just going to thank him for that this morning. Amen? Let's do it together. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of Calvary. Holy One crushed your Son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once you're
and do the work, right? You may be seated this morning, but I just want to remind you that, you know, the 10.30 a.m. worship hour on Sunday, hour and a half, that this, this moment right here was never meant for you to just hear and then walk away without, like, questions or wrestling or tension or even further dialogue. Like everything that happens here in this space, this sermon portion of of what we do here each week, like that should that should be that should go with you and you should continue to work this stuff out in your relationships with other Christians. And if if I don't know why, I just felt like I needed to remind us that if you're looking for me or any other preacher who stands in this pulpit, like if you're looking for me to make it all make sense and tie it up in a pretty bow every time and you walk away feeling like, oh, okay, I know everything I need to know now. Like that's not gonna happen. I'm gonna fail you again and again and again and again. And so you're meant to take that and to go and and continue to work through that with other believers. And if if the next thing that comes up in your mind is, well, I don't have anyone to, to work through that with, then that's a problem. I mean, we got to find some discipleship. You need some discipleship in your life. You need some community. You need some brothers and sisters in Christ who can walk beside you as you continue to sort these things out. So just your friendly reminder, the sermon is not meant to uh, make everything neat and tidy and be all that you need for the rest of the week. It's going to fall very short. Probably by the time you walk out those doors, it's going to be gone. So just a reminder of that. And just a few quick announcements this morning before we dismiss. Um, If you are wanting to hear more about the money that we are raising for a very uh, particular Afghan family, um, I won't go into all of that again. I've done that for two weeks now. And so um, talk to, to myself if you would like, or there's some more information out in the foyer Um, But we are raising, we have a goal to raise $110,000 by September 10th. Um, And this is for a particular Afghan family to be relocated um, to Canada. And we're working through some local organizations in the Nazarene Church there. So uh, if you'd like to know more about that, let us know and we'll we'll help you to learn more about that. Uh, We're still collecting for Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. And just a reminder, that's not something we're doing on our own. That's in partnership with one of our homeschool groups that meets in our building each week throughout the school year. And so 
uh, that's something that we kind of wanted to come alongside and help them to do. And so with our help and support, they're going to be able to pack a lot more boxes this year. And you guys have been so faithful in bringing um, so the things that we've kind of asked you each month. And so we are still collecting school supplies for that. And you can drop those off in the foyer, same bucket, same same place every time. Um, but we just continue to bring that stuff in, okay? You guys have done a great job. Um, and then, oh, also, along with that, so a few months ago, you might remember that a lady from the homeschool group came and kind of shared with us about one of the particular items that they put in the boxes for the young ladies, um, some feminine products that we actually sew. And a lot of you ladies had expressed interest in sewing those, and they depend on, on people to actually sew and make those that we send over. And so, so we are needing, sorry, we are needing to know how many of you are actually doing that. Like those of you who expressed interest, are you putting those together? Have you been sewing them? And if so, we need to find out if how many we have to work with and how much more we might need. So please see Karen today if you have been working on those or if maybe if you haven't been, just touch base because we know that a few of you had expressed interest in that and we are needing to kind of know where we're at with those. All right, so just a, a reminder there. Uh, we're actually needing 200 by the end of October is what they tell us, so that's not very long. There's other ladies outside of this church doing that, but we need to know what they need to do, okay? Uh, Lunch Bunch is going to be meeting um, August 30th, or August 31st, sorry, Wednesday, August 31st at noon, and that's going to be... Um, that's gonna, we're going to be meeting at Chevy's that time. And this last announcement, um, I'm surprising Jim with that, and no one else really knew that this was coming, but um, it's just something that's been recently brought to our attention. And so I'm going to kind of plea with you for a moment, okay? Um, we are needing people to seriously consider helping us out with our kids downstairs, specifically we desperately need help in the nursery and the toddler classrooms. So just so you know, Lynn Leach leads the toddler class every, for Sunday school every single week and has for a long time. But there is no one to lead a toddler class for the 1030 worship hour. And we do have some toddlers already in there, and then our babies are going to be in there before we know it. Um, and, and I hate to say this, but I feel like I need you to know that, that we need to seriously pray about this, that I know of a family who was invited to come to BFCN to visit, and they specifically asked about what we have for toddlers because they have a toddler, and because we had to say, like, well, we don't have anything during the worship hour, they're not able to come visit us. And so that just, you know, like, ooh. I need you to seriously pray about this. We have two faithful ladies who are in the nursery every single week, Marcella and Joan. And I know sometimes Brenda helps them out, but those ladies have been in the nursery for like 35 years, literally. And they're tired and they deserve to, to not do that anymore, okay? And so I don't necessarily want people to just like feel sorry for that need and then sign up to help even though you can't stand babies and toddlers. Like, please don't, okay? However, if that's something you feel like you could do, I need you to pray about doing that because we desperately need help. And this is kind of one of those hard things that, that we don't really want to address, but like if we're going to continue to have a space for, for young families to come and bring their kids, we have to have something for them. And so we're kind of in this 
between a rock and a hard place where we don't really have the help, but we have to make something work so that we can receive more young families. Not because we're trying to explode and, and just get bigger for the sake of getting bigger, but like if families want to come and visit, we need to have something for their children. So please pray about that. If nothing else, would you just please join me in prayer? Just join me in prayer that those people will step up um, and that we'll figure something out, okay? So on that chipper note, <laughs> I'm going to invite you to stand this morning and receive this benediction before we leave. Brothers and sisters in Christ, hear me when I say it's a joy to be in this space with you every Sunday to worship with you, and to wrestle through God's word together. I pray that you would leave this place and that you would go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who does bring peace, who is peace, who embodies peace. Would you go and walk in that truth this week? Would you be mindful of how the kingdom of God is at work all around you, everywhere you go? Don't miss it. So in his grace, you are dismissed. Have a great afternoon.